Hey everyone, welcome to the Know Your Gear podcast. This is episode number 245. These podcasts are sponsored by patrons. There is no companies involved and never has been with these podcasts. I appreciate every single one of you for considering joining Patreon, where not only can you support this channel for only $5, now if you want to pay for a $10 sponsorship and pay for the year, you get a 10% discount, brings it to $108, but you receive a special pack of my favorite things, including my favorite string action guide, my favorite tuner, my favorite picks. There are links to my Patreon on this podcast, but you can Google Philip McKnight patron to go right to it. And I want to thank you if you consider it. Dave Alexander was one of the first questions. He said, hey, Phil, I bought a Firefly Les Paul Burst for $187, which is crazy money nowadays, right? Remember like a couple months ago, we thought that was cheap. And now that just seems like that's free, $187 in today's market. It is an awesome guitar out of the box, but the humbuckers suck. He said suck with call capital letters, uh, which is my assessment of that guitar as well. They are muddy, microphonic. Yep, mine were so microphonic. They, uh, it was a it was hard to get through that video. They were feeding back so much. Uh, suggestions for inexpensive replacements. Sure, there is a lot of great inexpensive pickups, but this gr- leads to a really important thing to talk about, which is two things. One, don't forget used pickups. I keep saying this. Everybody's always got suggestions of all these co- uh, companies that make pickups. You gotta understand, sometimes if you're just out there looking on your Craigslist, looking around, used pickups are fantastic. First of all, very rarely you're going to find a dead pickup. So no issues there. Uh, if it doesn't have lead wire, you can always extend that. Again, little soldering skills take you a long way. Um, the other thing that's important about p- used pickups is, is that uh, they usually, you'll usually find somebody who's just trying to dump them. I find them all the time. Dirt, dirt, cheap, right? Um, you know, Seymour Duncan, JB Jazz said, I find them all the time. Dirt, cheap, even in today's market. So don't forget to do something like that. And I'm a big proponent for like, Seymour Duncan 59s uh, for that kind of guitar. You're going to put them on Les Paul, get some DiMarzio PAFs. Uh, <laughs> I love it whenever it gets mad when I call them PAFs. Remember, I only call DiMarzio PAFs. It's P-A-F, or if you're saying DiMarzio, I, DiMarzio, I say PAFs, um, which is because that's its trademark name. <laughs> it's a PAF. It's trademarked. You can look it up. It's trademarked. Uh, and I like to say it because I think it's funny. <laughs> so... Um, uh, but anyways, so don't forget use pickups because there's a really good score there. In fact, think of this. I have uh, pickups in my shop. Uh, as you know, I have tons of pickups for research and stuff. And I have like amazingly expensive, like bare knuckles and, and, uh, and uh, you know, I'm trying to think of other exemption, wolf tones and all kinds of stuff that I picked up dirt cheap. I mean, dirt cheap. Sometimes I'm into a pickup for 20 bucks. So use pickups are a lot of, a lot of good a good way to save some money and get something. Otherwise, yes, then uh, I've, I did a review of some PAF st- uh, style pickups that were, I think, $99 for the set out of England. Uh, definitely check out that video. Definitely check out those pickups. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I really, really like them. I will tell you that uh, they are a small shop trying to get business, kind of the same thing, trying to sell you the world for a nickel to grow market share. And man, when you find those companies, they're a lot better than companies who don't need your business because the ones that don't need your business aren't going to kind of give you the world for a nickel. So something else to think about uh, for pickups. But one thing I want to tell all of you is pickup prices are going up. They are going up. As you guys know, uh, I make pickups. I do it in a small level. It's just in my shop. And, uh, 
And uh, man, the prices are crazy. And and of course, I won't go into detail, but you know I'm friends with some picket manufacturers, some bigger, some mid-sized, some smaller. And let me tell you, there's a consistency consist, consistency across the board that prices are going up on pickups. And I know you guys are used right now, prices going up, but you have to understand there's two things going on simultaneously with price increases and inflation, okay? As you guys have mentioned, and I'm sure a lot of people will say this, uh, is that... Um, you know, there's like, oh, they did a price increase four months ago, and then there's another price increase. Look, some companies have not done the price increases. They're holding back. So when they do it, it's going to it's gonna feel like a hammer coming down. Some companies have put out small price increases in- incrementally and have decided that a lot of them have decided that the next one just has to be the big one or this one that they're doing now is the big one so that they don't just keep hitting you with it because they're trying to anticipate what's coming in the future. And a lot of companies... And and and, uh, and this is important. <laughs> a lot of companies understand that there's a there's a math to price increases. What, what I mean by that is, as you increase price, sales drop. That's just part of how it works. Whether it's inflation, whether it's just anything else. And so at some point, you it has to equalize. And there's a math that you can do that says, in theory, let's give you a great example. Let's say if I raise something from sixty to eighty dollars. And I drop in sales 20%. I'm just giving you general or round numbers. These aren't exactly how this would equate. Um, you're, you might do the overall average and figure out that you, you come out the same. You flush. But there's no room for error in that. So sometimes what they'll do is they'll figure out like, well, if we increase from $80 to $95, we'll drop 25%, right? But if you look at what they charged more versus what they dropped, they come out ahead. Um, I have firsthand experience in this. In the recession, uh, I had to raise lessons. At that time, we were $80 a month for lessons. We had 260 students, I think, at that time. And uh, we were like, what are we going to raise to? And we wanted to raise to $90. And we did the math, and we did exactly that. We were like trying to figure out who's going to leave and who's going to stay based on this increase. And then we were able to calculate like a little bit more increase saves you. You know, and it sounds almost... It sounds a little horrible. Don't get me wrong. I, f- I feel bad saying it out loud right now. But, you know, you understand it, business is just business sometimes. You just, you got to s- survival. It's a survival thing. How do you, how do you not lose not only all your students, but how do you not lose your teachers and everybody, you know, when people work for you and they rely on their income for you, you got to do more than just worry about yourself. You got to worry about the whole, the whole picture, not only the students, but teachers. And so same thing with any business, these business owners right now, you can tell they're sitting there and, uh, they're contemplating, okay, what if we raise this? Is this what's going to be? And then, so what I'm basically getting at is, I think you're going to see not only the price increases you're seeing right now, but some are going to be a little heavy because they're kind of anticipating where they're going to be. Um, and uh, pickups are definitely seem to be the ones really affected because a lot of those materials are tough to get. I've had all kinds of problems with getting materials for pickups. It's been its own personal nightmare. Somebody mentioned earlier, I think it was Susan may have mentioned, uh, Jackson increased price like $200. Definitely price increases. Obviously, if you've seen them on Sweetwater, you've seen them on Guitar Center, you've seen them everywhere, price increases. But this is another time to remind you guys that when a price increases are rolling out, whether it's the inflation, whether it's the 1st of January, which is a very common thing to happen every January, regardless of the world, it's a good time that if you're thinking about buying stuff to go ahead and find it now in stock with dealers now and find dealers who are willing to honor old pricing. It is 
it happens all the time. You basically can avoid avoid the price increases by saying, hey, you have one in stock now. Obviously, they may have bought it at the old pricing and they may be willing to let it go for the old pricing. So look for the old pricing. That's like getting the savings because you don't pay the new price increase. And if it has a price increase, maybe talk to them and see, do they have anything that they can do to match the old pricing? And, um, you know, like I said, a lot of times they're going to be like, yeah, of course. You know, sometimes no, because it's, you know, it's a supply demand market, but a lot of times they're gonna be like, sure, we could do that for you. You know, right? Save you 10%, get it back to the old price for you. Right now, as we see, uh, I keep hearing terms like boom market, you know, guitar boom. Th those are true, but it doesn't seem like it's the market it was a year ago. Um, not what I've seen. <laughs> it's not selling like it was a year ago. It sure is still astronomically huge. It's a big, big selling market, but it's not the market it was uh, at the end of not last year, but the year before. And, uh, but still obviously some supply chain issues and other things you're seeing, the prices are, are hitting us hard, but, but with the sales market, I think a lot of dealers, uh, and manufacturers could use the, the sale. I keep talking to more and more companies. I'm surprised to hear they're not doing well. I'm really shocked. I've talked to more companies in the last 60 days, basically talking about the fact that they're not doing very well. Um, which shocks me because everybody, I was like, oh, everybody's doing great. And they're like, well, actually, we've been dealing with all these issues and we're not doing great. So some companies are not not killing it right now. Bullets for Teeth says, do you think the inflation fiasco may push Guitar Center over the edge to close down stores? Well, they just opened two new stores. Talk about something, man, talk about nothing, something that none of us can get our head, heads around. You know, you go to car dealerships, there's no cars. I mean, it's weird to me. I was like, oh, it's a boom. I'm like, yeah, but how do you... How do you make money if you don't have anything to sell? Everybody's like, oh, they're selling it because it's all sold out. I'm like, but they don't have anything now. Like, <laughs> I know. Like, if I walk into a business, how many times I've walked into Guitar Center, this, this, and I know they're they're increasing the the uh, uh, supply again because I've seen the Guitar Center is getting more and more stuff. But I think about the fact that I've walked into stores in the last year, and the supplies are so low, and everybody's like, oh, it's because it's booming. But I'm like, yeah, but I walked out of like eight stores, and I didn't buy a single thing because there wasn't anything. So... How many people are doing that versus how many people are buying? You know what I mean? It's got to, there's got to be a, 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 I don't want to say a penalty, but there's got to be a backlash. There's got to be a problem to not having product to sell. It doesn't seem like that, you know, selling out is the best thing, problem to have. It's not a bad problem. It's not the best problem to have. I don't know what it's going to do to Guitar Center. I don't, I don't know if it's going to have a negative effect. Here's what I will tell you. This is what's scary and uh, uh, for small businesses. Um, for inflation. And this is something to talk about. And then we'll go to the next guitar-related subject. But this is still guitar-related subject. I want you to be aware of this. Um, a lot of times, the smaller businesses are the ones that will take the pummeling uh, from inflation uh, more than anyone else because of the fact that when uh, what's going to happen now, and again, this is only from my experience of when I was doing this, is that the, the, the margins you're used to, in other words, you have these margins and, and maybe you get free shipping, you know, as a store, let's say maybe you buy, I'll pick on Fender cause that's a good a company to pick on because they're a good company for, for product. Um, let's say you buy uh, $6,000 of Fender product and Fender, uh, wraps it into a free packaging deal, our free shipping deal for the dealer. We're talking about dealer, right? Shipping on that could be $260. That's back in the day, but $260 that's margin in your pocket right? Because the customer is going to pay their price. You paid your price. That's 260 in your pocket. As inflation comes in, as, as things, as the demand stays strong, inflation comes up. What's going to happen is the manufacturers, they find 
they don't need smaller dealers as much. And that's kind of harsh, but it's kind of true. And a lot of the smaller programs are the first programs you see disappearing. So in other words, maybe where there was like buy six, get one free or free freight or 10% back at the end of the year, those things start disappearing very quickly. Meanwhile, bigger entities like Sweetwater and Guitar Center, specifically, you know, those kind of size stores, uh, they have the buying power to hold their deals, okay? Or actually, or if they're losing some of that deal, the deal is minimal, you know, comparably speaking, right? So, and they also can can use buying more to keep the pricing down. It's a perfect time. And, and also that segues to another part that's important is, Bigger companies, especially corporate style companies, do not like <laughs> not not losing money or decreasing profits. They don't like not having growth. So their logic is growth is growth is growth. So if, if it was a boom year and now we slow down and inflation comes up, what's going to happen is they're not going to want to go down. They're going to want to increase from the boom year. And so they are going to do that. And the problem is, you know, when we were all buying, the pie was so huge. As the pie shrinks, they're going to keep their pie size the same or bigger, which means they're going to try to take business from other smaller businesses. The reason I tell you this is this is a great time just to remind you, mom and pop shops, this is when they need you the most. This is probably when they'll give you the best deal. So it's like, I'm not just like preaching for the whole save the small business. This is all about you too. You can save more money this way. You can get better deals. You can get better service from smaller businesses because like what I said earlier, it's the businesses that need you tend to service you better than the businesses that don't. So think about that for a second. Like I said, be aware of that. That's exactly what I do. <laughs> That's it. So, you know, that's I'm just giving you what I do. So it's not even a theory. It's just what I've been doing. Uh, Lunamatic says, love the Valiant video this week. Is that one a keeper? Um, it, it, as is, as is, what would you have changed? Thank you, uh, Lunamatic, for watching the Valiant video. Yeah, it is a keeper. Here's here's the deal with the Valiant guitars. I didn't say it in the video, and uh, I I was I was thinking if it came up in the live show, which it did. I, it's something I should ask you guys about. I have kind of like a standard way of doing things in my videos, which is like a product comes. The way I look at things. Uh, regardless of law, <laughs> the way I look at things is if a company sends me a product, if a company gives me a product, if a company loans me a product, if a company gives me a discount on the product, if a company, I'm friends with somebody in the company, um, if the company has uh, supported me in any way, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, with, with kind of like help, either discounts or whatever. If there's any kind of connection to the company, I put that product provided logo that I've been using since pretty much my channel started, which is that, that logo that I, uh, well, I created a version, but like I said, a viewer created that better looking pedal version, but I put that up there way before YouTube did the, Hey, paid sponsorship stuff. Right. I, I just started putting it there saying, I wanted you guys to be aware even though I say it in the videos, because I'll say like, oh, this was sent out by this company or whatever. It's like, I want you to know like where it came from. The Valiant thing is kind of an interesting deal because it falls into a weird world that I live in. And this is what I'm saying. Valiant, like I said in the video, not only did I say Valiant sent it, but I also said that they were sending a lot of guitars to channels uh, because this is how you get the information out. I mean, it's, it's just true. There's this, you know, guitar magazines are just not effective anymore. I still like the guitar magazines. It's not about them not being good. It's just not the source of information we're all you know, going to. And you can understand the music industry is small, so it doesn't do billboards and movie placements and commercials on TV. I mean, this is it. You find out about gear through the NAMM show and, and, and music magazines, and now it's pretty much YouTube channels 
It's where the driving force of this is. So what's why I tell you that is I disclosed that in the video, but what I didn't tell you in the video, and it wasn't for any reason other than it wasn't in the flow of the conversation I was having with the camera. They didn't ask me to do a review. They didn't ask me to do a video. They sent that guitar under the idea that I would do a Zoom call with them. Like I said, they started that company in June of uh, 2021. They are members and parts of another guitar company that kind of started a new guitar company, a new. Basically what they asked for was, if we send you a guitar, will you do? Will you talk to us about it? Like give them feedback. So I did that. So I didn't have to do a video. There was no requirement to do a video, but I did it. I did the video because I wanted to and I thought it was a cool video and I like the guitar. Does that stuff even matter to you guys or you don't care? <laughs> right? Like I. So back to your question, do I like the guitar? Absolutely like the guitar. That's why I did the video. Is it a keeper? It absolutely is, it is a keeper. I absolutely love it. Would I change anything? No. Bullets for T says the guitar market is flooded with tough competition. I absolutely believe that to be true. So, you know, I absolutely believe between used gear, between all the brands, it's funny to me, you know, everybody's a genius in a boom market, right? You know, in a bull market, so to speak. That's, isn't that the saying? Like everybody's a genius in a bull market, something like that. Everybody's a genius, right? Everybody's just product is amazing. And I'm like, but that's what happens when everything is selling. But when, as it's, you know, constricts back and it slows, man, it's going to be interesting to see who's going to, Who's going to feel it the first, you know what I mean? Because there will be some companies that feel it real fast and some won't feel it at all. Mike, who's a member. Hey, Mike. He says, have you noticed you don't see a lot of used Rickenbacker guitars? Is that because they are made that well and people don't let them go? It seems they hold their value pretty well. You agree? Question mark. I have a limited understanding of Rickenbacker guitars. You know, I was never a dealer for them, so I don't have any backstory on them. I've only worked on a few and I've owned one, you know what I mean? And I kind of regret getting rid of it. But like I said, the neck was just really small and it just didn't fit my hands really well, but it was a great guitar. What I will tell you about them is what I've learned from, from observing them as a company is they're really a no BS kind of company. They don't do imports. They don't try to find a new sub-tier model to, to appeal to somebody. Um, I think they're just really a company that knows who they are. They know who their customer is. And they're not dedicated to growth. Look, a lot of companies that have tiers, there's a coincidence here. It's not proof of anything, but it's a coincidence. Every time I hear a company got an investor, all of a sudden there's tiers of guitars. In fact, trying to find guitar companies that don't have investments. And I'm, again, we're not talking about public companies. We're talking about companies that have investors. Paul Smith has a lot of investors. There's an investment in that company. Lots of tiers of prices guitars. Fender, of course, lots of investors. Big investment companies. Gibson, investors. Tiers of pricing guitars. Um, when you see a lot, and it's there is you know exceptions to this rule, but when you see companies where all of a sudden everybody's got to get a piece at the end of the year, it's not like an owner who's just like, okay, if I make my salary for my people and me, and I get to build guitars for a living, this is the greatest dream come true. It's somebody who goes, oh my goodness, if I don't get a dividend for the people who invest, they'll ask for their investments back. By the way, this is a real common story, unfortunately, in our guitar industry, which is investors are like, ah, I'm done with this, you know, because they're sick of five years not getting a dividend. They got to find a way to make money, and so you make money by making multiple priced uh, products. Uh, there's some benefits to that. As you guys know, you get a, a great guitar for that's affordable. And sometimes there's drawbacks. David Elfson says Sweetwater has a lot of ricks. They're not trying to clear them out. I think if they sell less, they make less and they go with that. 
I don't know. Again, this is just a guess. It's one of the few companies I've never worked with in any way, in any capacity. I've worked with so many companies in some capacity, whether it be through a dealership or through some kind of YouTube uh, interaction or through like some kind of consulting market or working with a company that works with them. I mean, it's just all kinds of things. I've worked with so many companies, so I kind of have some understanding. And it's one of the few factories, like I said, I've been to 33 factories. I was hoping, uh, you know, before COVID, by this time in my life, I'd be like, 50 factories was my goal. I want to go to 50 factories and shops. But I've been to 33 and Rick's are not one of them. But I would love to... Oh man, if anyone ever, like if Rick and Rick and Becker ever emailed me as a, and said, we'd like to come to the factory, I'm, I'm there. I'll, I'll pay. I pay for everything. I'll pay the flight. I'll pay the, you know, uh, hotel. I'll just go and make videos. There's one thing I love is going to factories and shops. I love it. That's Disneyland for me. My, my poor family can tell you before YouTube even, <laughs> And you, you post YouTube's worse. But before YouTube, if we went anywhere, if there was a guitar manufacturer in that city, state, anywhere we go, this is horrible to say. I've had my family sit in the car. Don't, not in the heat. Don't don't get dramatic. But sit in the car for hours while I did a factory tour or a shop tour. They love me, I guess. And I have to do it. I'm more compulsive about that than anything else because I like to see how everybody does things and what they do different, what they do alike. And I've seen every factory tour video on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, all of them uh, to the point where I'll start, I start watching them over and over again. As you guys know, two years ago, in January of 2020, I went to Boutique Amps Distribution. I interviewed Steve I, interviewed Peter, I interviewed Mike Saldano, and I went to an event. And the uh, when I went to the event, they said they would build me, let's build a custom Tone King amp. So I picked out the amp because the deal was, you know, you had to go to the event and then it was two days before the NAMM show. And since I live in Arizona and it's California, I had to pay for a hotel out of my own pocket, you know, for two days, wait for the NAMM show and, uh, you know, all the other stuff. So that was the deal. They made me the amp. The problem is COVID happened right after that. And then, as you know, they had a fire and long story short today, when I wake up, they sent me an email saying your amp shipped. It'll be here Monday. What I got to tell you is, man, that is awesome. Cause let me tell you, there was no way in, in any world I would have held them to sending me that amp. No way. Everything they've been through, you know, right. I think that was just that just shows their integrity and how cool they are, man. That was that was just great. Just great. So I just want to say, you know, that was a cool thing. So obviously excited about the amp. It's the best way to wake up. <laughs> hey, you're getting an amp. What? Yeah, that you thought, you know, like I said, I was like, I figured that was just an old never going to happen thing. Derek said, happy Friday. Uh, Phil finishing the basement, getting a guitar room. What does everyone think? needs to be included in a great guitar room. Here's why I have trouble sometimes. This is not my guitar room. <laughs> this room is tiny. This room is so tiny. The way I move and do this room is, I think, magical. Everyone who's ever came over has literally gasped at what they saw and how, what you guys think is like different rooms and different things. It's just, I just, how I like to do things. It's uh, modular is what I would call it. Where I play is in another room. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I come and this is work now. You, I love YouTube. It's a cool gig for sure. The podcast is a great gig. We should all be so lucky to have something fun that you get to enjoy and maybe make some money off of. That's like, Jesus, talk about a great, great thing to have. Um, but uh, because of that, it's hard for you to go, this is not, you know, this is not work time. <laughs> you know, the last thing you want to do if you make YouTube videos is be in a room where you want to play a song and learn a song or play some music or work on something and look over and go, oh, have I finished the review of the new IK Moldy Media pedal yet? <laughs> 
well, then maybe I should do that. You know what I mean? You just need to get out of that space. So this room is not my man cave guitar space. My man cave guitar space is actually in my bedroom. And uh, that's uh, where I have, all, I have like, I just have all, it's always been in there. My very first videos used to be in there. If you guys look at the old, old videos on my channel, if you look at the room, it looks different. That's the room I'm in, my bedroom, which still looks like that to this day. And it still has all the same stuff that you see in it then today. This was created later. Lunamatic says your videos show you have a separate repair space, amp room, podcast room, guitar room. That's what you think. <laughs> I tried to do a video. I've tried it twice to make a video of this room. This is how small the room is. You can't do it. Everything's in a one shot angle thing. So I will do a video one day. I will find a way to make this video. I've tried a couple times, but when you watch the footage, sometimes even in trying to show you the scale of everything, it still looks bigger than it is. How I haven't really set up in my home is this. This is the room that I podcast and videotape videos for. Downstairs, I have a small shop. It's a one car garage size shop, slightly smaller than one car garage, by the way. 80% of what you would see a one car garage be. That's my shop area. That's mine. It's a separate room area. That's what I have. And then I have my bedroom area and that's it. But you don't see any of that ever anymore. Like I said, that you would have to watch old videos. I mean, it's easy. Just go on my YouTube channel and scroll down to where if it looks like I was filming with a cell phone in a, in a bedroom, that's where I'm at. So what you see constantly, like different backgrounds and stuff, I told you I have curtains that I can pull forward. I can do all kinds of stuff. And believe it or not, the thing that you think you're seeing right now, this is where it's hard to explain to you guys. The desk I'm on moves. Like this is not me moving the computer. This is me moving the desk. It's on wheels. I can manipulate this. If I spin it around, I can spin you around to another wall that looks like I'm in a different room. I don't do it for any particular reason. Then I don't know, just makes, like I said, it's modular. It just makes my workflow. I, I've learned to work with an tiny, tiny, small space. Think about this. This is a true story. My entire YouTube workspace is smaller than Ola England's closet when he was doing his walkthrough. If you watch his studio walkthrough, when he showed his closet where he puts all the stuff, that is the size of my room, except for his closet looks just slightly bigger <laughs> than my room. And I don't have any desire to change that. I like my work to flow here to be like my workflow when repair guitars. I like it efficient. I like to know, I don't like it where messes congregate. I like to just get it done. We need to go to the next question. Antique Rocker says, Chirabusco, Chirabusco, New York. Apologize to all the people from New York, New York that I can't say Chirabusco. I'm going to say that's close, right? Has Dick's Country Store and Music Oasis selling groceries, gas, guns, and guitars since 1968. Large selection of guitars then then Guitar Center Burlington, I think. Okay, so we say a better selection, larger selection than them. Uh, any strange guitar stores near you? No, the only strange guitar store that's not even near me, it's in it's in Reno, Nevada, 13 hours from here. That would be Bizarre Guitars and Guns, where it's two shops, one's guitars and one's guns. Uh, and um, I bought a lot of stuff online from them. I've been in that store physically a couple times. It's a great store. I like the selection. Um, they always have great prices. And... Uh, I would say it's the only weird store here. Um, there is a little music store. I don't know if it still exists in Mesa, Arizona, I think called Insulaco's Music, where they do upholstery and musical instruments, but it's not really a guitar store. It's just musical instruments. Um, but yeah, that's about it. So there's nothing like that. There's nowhere where you can get a gun, gas, and a guitar in Arizona <laughs> that I know of and groceries. Maybe that should be a thing. Jovial Panda 2022. Wow, that's got to be a new sign-on. Or at least you were like, I'm ready for next year. <laughs> says, uh, thanks for all the great content and information. I'm debating on getting my first telly. Thinking of a Squire CV versus GNL tribute, ASAT, ASAT. <laughs> uh, thoughts or, or opinions? I like them both. If it was me, I would buy the tribute. I love Squire stuff. I think the quality is there. Uh, maybe as good, if not better, than GNL. I don't know. 
But I do like that to me, the GNLs, there's just something about them. Uh, depending on the model, most of them have their USA made pickups. That's kind of cool. So there's not a lot of desire to have to kind of change that out depending on the model. Some do uh, some do hybrids, like some have import pickups, some have the USA pickups, and some have like, I think like, I did a Sharp My Axe on a GNL Tribute ASAT, and I think in that one, I think they, the bridge pickup was the USA pickup, and then the neck pickup was the import humbucker. So if it's the humbucker, they use the imported pickup, which was actually a pretty good sounding pickup. But, because uh, that wasn't the issue we we're trying to fix with the GNL when I did that video, but that's something we addressed. Um, but uh, I like the GNLs for that vibe. You know what I mean? I like that just because it says tribute on the headstock, just like PRSSEs. Look, if you look behind me, I have two PRSs right here. One obviously was given to me by my buddy Nathan. Uh, that's essentially, a, you know, a, a beautiful dream guitar. And then there's an S2, pointing out an S2 down below. But right there is an SE, a Custom 22 SE. And I can tell you right now, I love that guitar. I mean, I love it. I play it all the time. If You, you can tell because you can, you can tell what I like. It starts popping up on all the videos, <laughs> right? Because when I'm demoing an amp, it's the question is not when I demo a guitar, you know, do I like the guitar? The question is when I'm demoing an amp or a pedal, what guitar am I using and why? Is it because I like it or because it sounds good? It's one of those two reasons and sometimes both. If I'm demoing a, a, a guitar, what amp am I using? Uh, or what pedal am I using? Again, because it, it sounds good. I want to put the best foot fo forward on the product. You know what I mean? Uh, so I want to use something I like using, but more importantly, something I like using so I'm familiar with it. You know, know your gear. I know how to use it and get a good tone out of it. So um, the thing with this, just like this PRSSE, for some reason, uh, the fact that it says Paul Reed Smith and just says SE, does, SE means nothing to me. I don't care less. <laughs> right? Uh, I care less. First of all, what's funny about it is think about how, how this works. Um, it, 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 Matt says, is that the only SE behind you? No, there's a Silver Sky SE. There's two SEs behind me. Again, I could point at it and talk about that, you know, that stuff. Um, um, but uh, but the, the thing I like about the PRS SEs and what I like about this stuff is think about private stocks. It doesn't really say PRS private stock in big letters, right? It's just PRS, you know? Uh, and so just like it says Paul Reed Smith, you know, on the, on the cores and then on the S2s. And, and so I don't mind sub, sub, I don't know what you call that uh, categories. Let's just, let's go with that subcategories. Um, in other words, I don't mind, you know, uh, if a car is like the BMW 5 Series and the BMW 7 Series, right? So I, I Look, I know nothing about BMWs. I just know if I see a 7 Series, that person spent more than a 5 Series, uh, especially if they bought new. That's all I need to know, <laughs> right? I don't care about anything else, right? It's just it's, a, it's like a visual for how much they spent. To me, I'm just like, okay, they're both BMWs. To me, when I look up PRS and if I, go, I look up a Paul Reed Smith Core, I look at an S2 and I look at an SE, I look at them as all being Paul Reed Smiths, and then I go, but they're different subcategories. So I know the guy played, our person that played player played uh, the core, paid more. Maybe that matters. Maybe it doesn't. And I know there's refinement as I go up, right? Just kind of like what I picture in the BMWs, I would imagine. Better cup holders and maybe a bigger engine or something like that. Better performance, right? Better quality. I know part of our uh, ideology in guitar world is manufacturer origin. Those days are over. If you're still believing in that crap, I'm sorry. You're, you're just not paying attention anymore. This whole hierarchy of where guitars are made is only connected now to resale values, not in the quality of how they can make instruments. That stuff pretty much ended the day affordable CNC machines were made. <laughs> you know what I mean? Once, like to me, here's my argument. I, I understand, you know, understand that there's quality differences in price categories, okay? So what I mean by is if somebody says, oh, an Indonesian guitar, and they hold it up, 
and they go, this guitar is not as good as this American-made guitar. And I go, okay, if, but what we don't want to look at is not where they're made. We want to look at what they were intended to be. So if you're saying a company goes to Indonesia and they make a guitar at a, and they say, let's make an affordable price point, and they start taking away options. And then we look at some American-made guitar, and it's loaded to the gill with options and, and fit and finish and time. And then you go, they're not the same. Well, they're not the same. But when you compare like a high-end main Indonesia guitar to a high-end main USA guitar, they're the same now. It's the same. It's the same. <laughs> um, the CNC machines are the same. They can fit and finish the same. The time and grades the same. And there's exceptions to all these rules, but we're generally saying the same. And that's why you're seeing like Strandberg for $2,600 made in Indonesia because Indonesia is the new Korea. That's for sure. And quality wise. And, uh, and, and that's, what's great to, you know, cause you can still buy a really affordable priced, good instruments out of Indonesia. And so the reason I say all that is because there's this, like this idea that, like I said, the Korean guitar is not as good as the American guitar. All that stuff is only true in, in the regard of what they spec the guitars out. If they want the guitar to be as good, if they want a guitar to be the same, they can make it everywhere the same. Because again, they have the ability because they have the main thing that's making the guitars now are the machines. And the other thing that's advanced, which is why you got to let go of your old thinking is, is that the equipment that they're putting on the guitars is becoming standardized. There are as many high-end guitars now using the same components as lower-end guitars because that's the components they can get. I like using the Godo 510 as a perfect example. It's a bridge. It's in a $5,000 Sur, and it's in a $900 made in Well, now it's got to be $1,100, right? <laughs> Inflation. $1,100 made in Mexico uh, uh, Charvel. It's not a dig against anybody. It's not a praise to anybody. It's just saying they can put that bridge in everything. So let's argue for the sake of argument that the $1,000 Charvel and the $2,000 Ibanez AZ and the Sur guitar at whatever, $3,000 to five, they're all using the same bridge. We know that's, that's on par, okay? Now we're going to argue what? Paint? <laughs> How good they paint? Sure. Could the Sur shop... And again, I'm not picking on Sur, just because those guitars look similar. Um, they could have the same kind of paint. They could. They could be buying it from the same supplier, using the same paint guns, and having the same skill set. Wood in the body, if they're using all the same kind of woods... That's the same. So then we start talking about, well, what are we really talking about? Once once they start putting in, like, sir, one thing about them is they have their own pickups. That's really great. But we're going to talk about guitars like Nags, where Nags use mostly Seymour Duncans and Bare Knuckles in their in their guitars. So $5,000 Nags with Seymour Duncans. You can get the Ibanez with Seymour Duncans. You can get the Charvel with Seymour Duncans. So we know the pickups are equal in quality. See how this is? So then you go, okay, well, let's get the neck. Well, the necks, obviously, still made on CNC machines, but we can hand finish. There could be skilled labor in the more expensive guitars, for sure, for sure. Um, but what I'm basically getting at is that's why I look at it the way I look at it, which is, like, like I said, think of it as categories, okay? Some guitars are less, uh, I don't know. Again, I don't want to say quality because that's not what I'm getting at. They have less feature sets, less... May, one of the features can be actually, believe it or not, a feature on an instrument could be how much hand time the instrument received before fit, fin, final shipping, right? So that is a big deal. It's a very big deal. Um, and, and so you understand how big of a deal it is, is that when you go to a high-end guitar shop, I mean a high-end guitar shop, uh, guitar, not, not repair shop, I mean manufacturer, I'm talking about the best, the premium. If you look at how much hand time is put on the guitars, it's not hours. It's not like no one's spending two hours on your 
$5,000 guitar neck. <laughs> They're not doing that. They spend 30 minutes to an hour, maybe, sometimes 10 minutes. It depends. It depends on the guitar and what it needs. So the point is they got to move quickly. And so that tells you how fast they have to be when the guitar is $200. Right, you're thinking for two hundred dollars, you're getting somebody who works on your neck for ten minutes. That's not true. They probably worked on like a couple passes, and then it's got to go, right? So that's what you're that's what you're you got to deal with now. Uh, somebody saying Eastman make fantastic guitars. Of course, like I said, really what you what you learn is this: they can make a guitar anywhere on the planet Earth they want, for the most part, at any quality level they want. But what the real reality that we deal with now is. What is it worth later on the resale value? And let's be honest, there's, there is, like I like the word cachet, there is cachet to an American made Gibson guitar. There just is. It's iconic. People want it. Rock stars have it. It's something. It's a, it's a Rolex watch at this point. It's, it's something to show that you have. If that so matters to you, I don't know, <laughs> right? Uh, I said it on my, all my Gibson videos. I've said it. If you want a good guitar, just buy the Epiphone. If you want to own something <laughs> for that for that factor of resale value, or you know, like the I call it the I have arrived. You know, like ah, oh, look, he's arrived. He's got that guitar. There's some there's some truth to that. Um, so back to the PRSs. That's why I like to say this. I like the SEs. I like the S2s, and I like the Course. I think they're all really good. I could argue that they are, are better as they go up, but it's not like crap to good. It's good to great. You know what I mean? It starts out really good. Um, a lot of you guys are talking about Eastman now. Eastman a perfect example. High-end guitars. <laughs> My niece hurts says I don't wear watches. I don't either. <laughs> That's why when I said the Rolex thing, I'm like, oh, crap. I could be totally wrong on that because I don't even know anything about uh, <laughs> uh uh, Harry the guitarist says, I disagree. I think it matters sometimes. I, I don't disagree with that statement. I think it does matter sometimes. Again, I like to talk in non-absolutes. So I don't believe anything I said was an absolute truth or an absolute fact. I believe it's generally uh, true or generally what I find to be, uh, you know, kind of the average. Uh, like I said, there's exceptions to all these rules. Of course, of course. Magic Man said, Gibson's still play and sound better than Epiphones. Sure. You, again, there's, there's nothing... Uh, there's nothing wrong with that statement. I can see with it. it's a very accurate statement. Obviously, it's they're very good. However, that's too specific of a thing. We have to be more kind of look at it like as a whole. The, the question is not, is the Gibsons better than the Epiphone? The question is, is the Epiphone good enough? It is. And again, this isn't to like disprove your statement or win an argument. It's really to, just to look at the broader picture of it. The question I would ask you, Magic Man, could you go on tour with a major act with an Epiphone guitar, a quality Epiphone guitar? And we're not talking about the bass student models where they're going to cut, cut corners. We're talking about like a quality Epiphone guitar where they put good pickups in it. I mean, I love the Epiphone bridges. They're fantastic. I wish Gibson would adopt them. They actually have a patent on those. I don't know if you know. The, I think the Epiphone bridge is better than the Gibson one. I don't understand why they don't stick it on the damn Gibson. The question is, can they tour with that? I believe they can. Does the Gibson sound better? Sure, of course. I really believe all those things matter. I believe a tube amp, you know, different tube amps sound better. Everything sounds incrementally 1% better. There's magic to this. If I, I think if you don't dive into the, all the colors of our universe of music and all the tones, if you don't really kind of get into that, I understand that. But if you do, you understand just the subtle difference of just how a pedal or a, a type of string or a type of pick can change your sound. But again, that's the fun of it. That's the, just getting into it on every nerdy level and every musical level. And then there's like, okay, but what do you need? <laughs> what can you use? And the reality is they're really making fantastic instruments at, at the level of Epiphone, at the level of PRSSE. I mean, they're just fantastic. But I prefer the more expensive instruments. 
That's why you see mostly of them behind me. It's how it's, it, I prefer them for a lot of reasons, but PRSSE is fantastic. Sounds great. I remember I even said, I think I said in a video and I think I said I was going to change up the pickups. I haven't done it yet because I actually still don't hate it. Mark Hall says, Gibson better than Epiphone? Ask the Beatles. That's not even the same brands. The Epiphones the Beatles plays are, the plate are not the Epiphones of today. It's a different kind of thing. I would believe that the Beatles now, if they were the Beatles now, they would never play Epiphones. They would play Gibsons mostly because they get Gibsons for free. I'll tell you what I don't believe. I don't believe any musicians I watch paid for their instruments. Again, no, I'm not, nothing is to me is 100%, but generally speaking, being on the YouTube platform now for many years and hanging out with all just YouTube platforms and again, all kinds of musicians, I just can't imagine learning what I've learned across all the all this market now. To I can imagine that these musicians are not just getting the instruments free, that there's no reason for them to pay for them. The companies send them out. Brian says, Beatles would play PRS guitars because Paul would send them a free one. Of course, that could be possible. What I've learned from this, and again, uh, I'm not an expert by any means in the artist side of the world. What I've learned now when I listen to artists talk, working with companies, look, I'm not an artist. I'm just some dude on YouTube talking <laughs> on Fridays, <laughs> whatever. But the point is, I still have to deal with companies like artists do. And what I can tell you is some companies are a pleasure and some companies are a nightmare. And I think it's funny. It's coincidental almost when I have a company that I go, man, that was horrible. <laughs> and the next thing I know, all the artists left like a month later go, yeah, that's not coincidence, is it? Can't be. I mean, it could be, but it can't be, right? So I think there's a little bit of that to, to uh, this. Um, you know, there's com there's people in these companies I just absolutely love when the phone lights up and I see their name and I go, oh, this is great. This is going to be a great conversation because I, I know it's going to be about music and, and gear and maybe interactions on the channel. Um, and I know the companies, when they call, I know it's, you know, it's just a matter of fact, and it's just about getting some kind of thing that they need. And there's nothing wrong with that, too. But I'm sure our artists feel the same way. <laughs> you know what I mean? They they want to they wanna be... They, it's people. The whole world is people. Maybe that's the best question ever. What would the Beatles play if they were playing, if they were new today and started out? Harley Benton's. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if that was the truth? Think about this. It doesn't even sound absurd. Think about that. It doesn't sound absurd to me. Could you imagine if the Beatles started out today and they all had Harley Benton's? I wouldn't even find that... Such a weird thing to see. David wants to know, hey, how much difference do expensive capacitors make? Placebo effect? There's always a placebo effect. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I you know, have emotional response and emotional response is a real response. I believe that different capacitors, you know, changing out not only different values, but different types do produce some kind of result. However, however, when I, I understand both arguments and believe both arguments be true. If somebody was to say that, that hey, there's a subtle difference here, I can hear it. I go, yeah, me too, I hear a difference. And if somebody says, yeah, but it's barely noticeable and it's, it's not even there, I'm like, that, I believe that too, because it is subtle. I think that's what it is. You know, when you start out, life is so great when you start out with gear. It's like, you have a clean sound, you start with clean sound, then you go and you, you, find your, you get your first distortion pedal. Distortion and clean are extremely different sounds. Think about how magical that is. The first time, if that's what you care about, distortion. First time you hear distortion, you're like, what is this? This is not clean. First time you hear a flanger, you're like, what is going on? This is so dramatic. You get a wall pedal, it's like a freaking, right? It's like you went to the moon. You're like, I don't even know what that is, what it's doing to my sound. You know, a single coil to a humbucker, whoa. You know, 11 gauge strings versus nine. These are so powerful and so easy. The problem is, is this, you're never going to start, stop that journey for the most part. Most players aren't. And so the problem is like any kind of drug addict, so to speak, 20 years later, <laughs> you're going to be like, 
8.5 to 9 gauge strings. Look at the difference. And 0.447 microfarad oil paper versus, <laughs> right? That, you, you know, here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with still enjoying the road. Does it get silly at some point? Absolutely gets silly. You know when it gets silly. You don't even have to be a professional musician. You don't have to be, you don't have to know any anything. All you know, all you have to do to find out when you've gone too far, which is fine. I don't stop. Just because you've gone too far doesn't mean you should stop. It's when you can't get anybody in the room to understand what you're talking about, right? Think about this. I want you to picture this. You guys all have, uh, well, a lot of you probably have significant others, brothers, sisters, friends. Hopefully you all have one of those things, something, a friend maybe a business acquaintance, a fellow coworker. <laughs> Anyways, you have somebody in your life and you show them your guitar and you do something, you play a guitar, strum a couple chords and you hit a distortion pedal. They all go, wow, that's different. <laughs> then when you try to show the difference between like, this is the 5150 pedal versus the BE overdrive, when you AB it, you know what they do. They go, and they go, which one sounds better? And they go, well, that sounds the same to me. And it's, that's your realization, one, that you're taking it too far, but also, two, that there is truth in this because they don't hear something that you absolutely hear, which means it could be a placebo, but it could be exactly that. Sometimes you can't hear something that you're not, like I said, you have to be refined. You have to refine it, right? You have to, you have to know all the little things. I, I've met people in this industry that can hear things that I just cannot hear. Paul Reed Smith is a perfect example. The first couple of times I ever met him pre-YouTube and talked to him. Uh, everything he said, I, I said this, this is a true statement. When I went to his factory the first time and I went back to my store, I was talking to, I think it was probably Ralph. It might've been somebody else. And they were talking about Paul Reed Smith and they, and they, all the crazy things he thinks and says, cause he, you know, he, at that time it was, you know, now it's the internet fight for life, but it's the things he believes, tone woods, all that stuff that he believes, whether you're for it against it. But I will tell you what I said then. And, I'll, and I, I stay, hold true to this day. I don't know if all the things he say, says is real. But I believe he believes that they are real. Like, I don't think he's the emperor's new clothes. I don't think he's trying to sell us something, uh, sell us a, a, a BS idea. I think he believes everything. And that's just my intake of t talking to him or seeing him. He believes everything he says. Uh, that's how it comes across to me. And if it's not true, man, talk about someone who doesn't break character ever. So the question I have is sometimes when I go, I don't hear what he's talking about or what he's saying, I sometimes think to myself, okay, is that, um, is that I'm crazy or is it he's crazy? Uh, but what I do is I try to figure it out <laughs> and I have fun. And I remember it's a fun, it's a fun ride. I knew this was going to come up. BC Rich 581 says, didn't Billy Corgan make some insane claim he could hear the tone difference when he finishes in the reverence? What he said was he could hear the difference in the white finishes versus the other finishes. What's funny about that is, I've said this before on the show, it's true. When I say it's true, it's true he said that. And it's true, I'm, I said this. I used to, in the shop, we would get strats from Fender all the time and the white ones always sounded different. And when I say different, I don't mean... uh through the amplifier. I don't mean through the pickups and stuff. I mean, acoustically, they sound darker and deader. Deader is probably the better word. They weren't as alive. You'd strum them and they just didn't, they didn't kind of shoot out. And I always thought that was kind of weird. And again, it's just one of those things. Like I never said like, oh, that's, you know, white ones don't have as much, they don't, they don't push out as much, you know, volume. They're not, they sound deader. I never said it before. And then I read that article with Billy Corgan when he said white guitars, just there's something different about them. And I was like, that's really weird that I have always thought that. And uh, 
here's the thing. Like I said, I don't, I don't paint guitars. So I asked some friends that paint guitars and they told me that it could be possible that when you do white guitars, you know, you do more primer and there's more paint on the guitar. I, I don't know. And then technically like a, like a M&M or a Skittles, like candy coating on the outside maybe makes a difference. Again, I've totally, I totally, uh, will exp- tell you that it could be placebo. It could just be a weird coincidence. It could be something he could be crazy. Could be crazy. What I will tell you is, I don't claim that there is a difference, but I don't claim that there isn't because it's just one, it doesn't matter. When artists say things like that, if that's what's in their head to make great music, then whatever. These conversations just sometimes go so strange. I'd like to point out, I don't believe a lot of that stuff. I just, like I said, I'm aware of it and I'm open minded to it, but I'm also open minded both ways. I'm I'm really, really okay with it being happy horse shit or if it's being real. I don't care. I like the discussion of it. I like the entertainment value of it, whether or not I believe this stuff or disbelieve it. I just like the idea if you want to sit in the bar and have a beer and talk about whether or not blue guitars sound <laughs> cleaner than red guitars, I'm totally okay with having that conversation uh, because I can think of a thousand subjects I'd rather not talk about. Uh, Ray says, what is a dream you've never said out loud? Oh my God, really? <laughs> That's the question. Uh, a dream. I don't, Think you mean a sleeping dream? Like, oh, spiders, <laughs> sharks. I have a lot of shark nightmares. I watched Jaws when I was like, I don't know, six. <laughs> so I, I have a lot of nightmares about sharks. And I'm fascinated by them, which is probably why. Um, I mean, I, let me put it this way. YouTube is, uh, that's how I know YouTube works really well. YouTube knows like the fish to, to fish me, to send me shark videos like crazy. I watch them all. Um, but what is a dream? I would say a dream meaning like a passion or a thing I want to do. Like, what is my life dream? What is a dream I've never said out loud? Um, I don't know if I've ever um, had a dream necessarily like that that I haven't said out loud. I'm pretty, I'm pretty boring <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. Um, I can tell you this. Uh, not, I mean, there's probably nothing I've never said out loud, but maybe not in public on a live platform with you know hundreds of people watching or whatever thousands obviously with the rebroadcast um i can tell you this if i could take if I, there's two professions that i've never done that if i could do i would love to do them but i you know I'm, which is like stand-up comedy was definitely one of them um and the other thing is probably what because <laughs> you know what you're thinking like I, it's weird i and i've read somewhere that all comedians want to be musicians and all musicians want to be comedians i love jerry seinfeld's comment that all men think they're comedians and all women think they're uh decorators i thought it was a funny comment uh so or joke i think it was a joke but um i think that's probably the only thing like i've never pursued everything i've at some point i've done i've pursued some kind of thing whether i was playing i've played in front of thousands of people. I've played in front of hundreds of people. I've played as a guitar. I've played the bass. I've played, you know, I've, I've, I've worked on guitars. I opened businesses. I've done everything. Um, and I came out the other side and really, uh, smarter for it for sure. And, um, and it, you know, some successes, a lot of failures, like anybody, huge failures that you have to deal with financially, emotionally, you know, there's just all kinds of stuff. Um, Grumpy Mike says, I thought you wanted to drive a dump truck. Maybe. Maybe I think that there was some kind of bucket list thing I could do, you know, like, I, you know, like some people are like, oh, I'd like to see the Grand Canyon or something like that, or skydive. Probably the only thing is maybe I'd do stand up comic and go up there and just bomb. I wouldn't be okay with bombing, by the way. <laughs> That's kind of, I'm bombing every week here. I've just, you know, 
In fact, probably easier now if you think about it. A room full of 50 people, probably easier than sitting in front of a thousand people live. Mike says, try the Red Dirt pedal after you mention it. Bought it, and it's the best sounding overdrive pedal I've ever had. I agree. I love that pedal so much. Like I said, I was at a guitar center, and a viewer came up to me and just was talking. I shouldn't say viewer, but you know, someone who knew the channel came up to me and we're talking, and they just would not stop talking about that pedal and how great it is and the gig every week and how, you know how how could I not review it and it's so great and I got it and man, it just really brings just like a, a tube screamer brings the Marshalls alive. That red dirt really brings my Freedmans alive. It's like it's like EQ'd correctly for the Freedmans. Uh, to me, the red dirt and a Freedman is the uh, tube screamer Marshall equivalent. It just does something. It's like just magical. Aaron Short music. What's up, Aaron Short? Uh, I should have worn my my sound hole sniffer shirt. Uh, it says Happy New Year. I'm curious, is your Kemper powered or unpowered? Hope to see you in person this year. Oh man, you know I hate this question so much, so much, Aaron. I hate I hate this question. Um, I hate quite, I always say, you guys can ask me anything and I'll tell you the answer. This is why I hate the question. I have two Kempers now since I'm, you asked and I have a powered and I have an unpowered. So the reality is how did it come up? How did, how did, how did somebody say, let's sponsor a video and you talk about your Kemper rig? Here's how it came up. I've had a Kemper. So what I said was true. I've had a Kemper for two years, unpowered. I just bought a few months ago, a Kemper powered. <laughs> So, uh, I'm going to probably, uh, get rid of the other Kemper at some point right now. It's just kind of nice. So what happened is in the video, when I said, Hey, I use that un uh, Kemper that's unpowered and I run it through two studio monitors. That is correct. But what recently I did, uh, not since that video before that video, I had bought a powered Kemper, but that isn't the rig I used all the time. The rig I use all the time was the unpowered Kemper. So the, the question I, is which one do I have? I have both. Which one do I like better? I like the powered. Here's why, uh, Aaron. Here's how I use my Kemper. The way I use my Kemper is going to make some of you nuts. Okay? I mean, really nuts. Right now. I'm going to warn you. If you have a Kemper Axe FX <laughs> fetish, if you have a thing and it bugs you when people do weird things with the thing that you love, you might want to go get a drink or something because you're not going to want to hear what I'm going to say because this is how I run my Kemper. I run the Kemper exactly like I said in that video. I run it right into two studio monitors. That's how I run it in the bedroom. That's the other room I told you I play in all the time. However, what I've learned is, is there's, a way, there's a way I like to run my Kemper here in the room, which is I run it through a 212 uh, Marshall cabinet with two vintage 30s. I do not run it through... Uh, FR cabinets. I don't run it through uh, a Kemper cabinet with some kind of uh, response. I don't run the selections that are uh, that way. Um, I run it exactly like I said. I'm running the Kemper as my beat, uh, my small box 50 head. I literally, this is what I do. I literally plug my small box 50 head into the cabinet. I set it up. I play it. I get it to the sweet spot that I love. Then I take it, put it, on, take it off the cabinet. I put the Kemper on the cabinet with my Kemper profile of that amp, and I find that spot to where they sound almost a dead identical. So all I'm doing is playing a Kemper version of my small box 50 head, which is stupid. Uh, well, maybe it's not stupid, but here's the part that makes people nuts. Then I, when I record my Kemper, I run it into, uh, the Captor X. <laughs> 
And I run it just like, like I said, I'm using my Kemper like it's just my small bucks 50. To me, the Kemper head for me is like a low wattage, like if Friedman made a 20 watt, because you don't say the pink taco because it's not the same. If because it's not, it doesn't have two channels. And it's not this, it's a lower, it's a higher gain, but mostly it just doesn't have the two full channels. And you could technically say the runt, because I think the runt is very close, but I really like the small box head for some reason. As you guys know, I'm a huge Dirty Shirley fan too, as well, and I have that amp, but for some reason, the small box for recording has been just amazing. So for recording, like I've been using small box, which, in, but I'm using the Kemper into the, Capture X, which I have a friend who's a Kemper guy and, uh, you know, I guess an artist or whatever. Dude, he's just loses his mind because he's like, it's in the Kemper. Why don't you use it the way in the Kemper? You don't need this, the Capture. I'm like, because I run them the same. So there you go. And then I run all the pedals in front of the Kemper like I do in front of my small box. So that's the answer. Um, but I, I, like I said, I, I recently upgraded to the Power One, I should say, the Powered One. Um, and um, just because. I like it. I wish, I, I, I think, I wish I would have got that one first. Uh, Matt Wells says, hey, Phil, just ordered the Ibanez Jiva. Jiva? Jiva, right? Jiva? I know it's the, it's the, it's um, Jiva. It's the Jiva. Jiva Jr. Uh, we will be, will be my first guitar with locking bridge and nut. Your thoughts on the Ibanez Edge 2-0 trim. How similar different is it to Floyd's? It's better. <laughs> set up and restring it's better um i like all the ibanez floyd's uh our ibanez tremolos better than floyd that's just me let the internet go crazy with that um that's for me setting them up for just like setting them up they're faster um let me see you said which one does it have low press has zero two edge zero two edge zero two i need to look because um, Ibanez does this thing that I absolutely love. Um, you know what? I just look at the Jiva Jr. Okay. What I love about Ibanez, and I'm just confirming, is a lot of times I'm looking at the bridge right now. So this bridge is pretty straightforward. It's basically just like the Floyd. It's not much different. Sometimes they have ones with the backs where they have the adjustments in the back that I actually prefer. That's what I said. Some of the things I like about Ibanez is uh, some of their bridges, like I said, they've, they've really uh, uh, upped the game, you know what I mean, with some of the, the, uh, the, the devices in the back. Um, yeah, uh, Lawrence says at the edge. Ibanez edge rules. Yeah, yeah I, you know what it is? I love the Floyd Rose bridges, but yeah, I'm just, I like the Ibanez better. So, so I think you'd be fine. Um, Matt says, another Matt. There was Matt Wells, now it's Matt Scott. Matt Scott says, I'm trying to get into bass. What is a good amp for blues rock that can do a small venue gigs? I would just stick with... Uh, the, the Fender Rumble stuff, that's kind of the, the thing I recommend. I mean, they're super cheap. They're super good. Um, I mean, if you're not looking for, you know, if you want something to take to a gig that's super light, super affordable, um, I think the Rumble stuff is, is I mean, it's hard to beat. 
I mean, I could tell you like I like I like Harky a lot. I like the tone of the Harky stuff. I like uh, what else? I mean, besides expensive stuff, there's always expensive gigs, uh, rigs too. But for bass amps, I really like Harky. But I I recommend the Fender Rumbles just because very good stuff and very inexpensive for the price point, especially if you pick one up used, built really well. And like I said, they're ridiculously light. It's just fun. Um, Anthony said, I believe, by the way, I think those amps and amps like that, especially like, you know, Fender, they killed the base amp market. That was a perfect example. Like there was a lot of, like somebody said, the TC amp, amp stuff is great. I've tried that. It's really good. That's what I said. There's so much good stuff. Base amps are really fun because the inexpensive bass amps just killed the high-end bass amp market like crazy. Used to be able to get, you know, SWR or Jens Gens or um, Jens Benz, Jens Gens, Jens Benz, Jens Benz. And, uh, you know, there was, I mean, just tons of high-end bass amp companies and they all just start toppling over because, you know, I mean, think about this. I don't even take a bass amp anymore. I take a bass preamp in my bass. Uh, I have to be at a situation where they don't have an amp, you know, or a stage monitor. But if I have, if they have anything I can use, I'll just take my preamp. Anthony says, my favorite Gibson is a Les Paul tribute I bought for 800 bucks. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Well, here, here's the thing. Uh, 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 you know, kind of like spoiler alert. Spoiler alert on the Gibson Custom Shop RO uh, video. I basically say that. <laughs> I say that, um, yeah, I could I studio a tribute a standard classic. They are all the same to me. Uh, I couldn't tell you that it was leagues better than anything else. Uh, is that's kind of where I went with it after trying it out. Uh, Wayne says, what did you think of the Maestro teaser Gibson put out? Oh, the, 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 the Maestro, the, the, um, pedals, right. Gibson's teasing about the pedals. Um, I know that there's people super into those pedals, obviously. And, uh, I think it's cool that they're reissuing that stuff. You know what I mean? Or coming up with new versions or, are dabbling into that brand again, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know, you know, it's not on my radar as of gear, but, uh, so I mean for me to buy, but it's one of those things, like if you got enough, you guys requesting it, I would definitely get it on the channel, but, um, it's tough for me. Like I'm trying to get back into pedals more and more. I, I find, I find that the channel got to a weird spot cause I didn't do a whole lot of pedal videos. The pedal companies really just backed off. Wasn't doing a whole lot of them because uh, I'm selective about the ones I do. And and then, like, you know, there's just so many pedal channels out there. Uh, they just weren't reaching out. And they weren't reaching out, and I wasn't reaching out. So all of a sudden, it went from, like, I only do one pedal video a month, which was 12 a year, and to, like, I think last year I did three. And the year before that, I did two or three. So, I mean, I'm not even doing a pedal a quarter now. Um, and... Uh, you know, so yeah, and it's not for any particular reason. Then I, uh, my video schedule is pretty simple. There's a live show, and then there's videos like I'm interested in one of doing. So I, so I go, I put them on my schedule. Go, okay, I want to do a video about this, or I want to talk about this product, or like the 50 states video. Like I want to talk about 50 guitar builders in 50 states. Those are videos I wanted to do. And then there's videos that people request, and I try to do requested videos. Like okay, I got a lot of people asking about the new this. And then there's company request videos like uh, PRS saying, hey, we're going to be dropping the Silver Sky SE. Do you want to do a video of one and between all that your schedule is pretty full so there's no time for me to reach out and go oh hey would you like to have a product on the channel so that's what i said it's been a it's been a it's been a while since the since i've actively had to 
work um, at trying to get content on the channel. Um, I mean, years. I mean, even during COVID, where I think there was a slowdown in some of the companies that reached out, I, I haven't, like, I'm always behind. <laughs> I always, I mean, think of this. On this channel, on the sh live show, I spend every week apologizing for the videos that are out yet. So it's, so, um, but yeah, I saw the tease of it and I thought it was pretty cool. Meester says, talented singer-guitarist Dean Del Rey became a stand-up comic and his veteran comic pal Mark Marins uh, being uh, playing guitar at shows. Oh, that's cool to know. Yeah, like I said, I I watch an insane amount of stand-up comedy. Like, insane. It's, it's insane. I watch every... And I love new comics that suck. Uh, and I really mean that. I like watching people hone their craft. I just... I don't want to say forced. That may be too strong of a word, but I basically got my wife and my daughter to watch. We watched like 12 or 15 stand-up comedians last week, uh, uh, all new upcomers. And I'm not going to lie, man. It was pretty br brutal. There was a lot of not great content in there, uh, their stand-ups. But man, when it was right, it was great. And But like I said, my, my wife and daughter started seeing what I was talking about for years, which is you can see them working out the content where when you see, when you only watch the greats, when you're only watching, you know, Richard Pryor, when you're only watching George Carlin, when you're only watching the greats, when you only watch like, you know, uh, you know, John Mulaney's, the newer, newer ones that are great. When you, when you watch them, these are honed, talented, you know, it's like, it's like sometimes people lose the, the art of an upcoming band, right? Wasn't it great going to a, to a club and seeing a band that was good, but not great yet. Uh, so uh, it's, you know, and so I love that. And so the same thing with stand-up comedians. I like watching them when they hone the craft. Uh, Joe says, Phil, happy new year. Why do people sell Fender CS bodies and necks on Stratosphere? Is that a waste of money for a build? Um, he's talking about custom shop bodies and necks. Uh, well, Stratosphere sells every kind of part. Uh, no, I think it's because, oop, I just hit the table. Um, I think it's because, um, Obviously, there's no people want to build parts casters. Look, almost half, nah, half, I'm just making up numbers. A lot of guitar heroes played some kind of hybrid Frankenstein parts casters. Obviously, Eddie Van Halen made it, uh, you know, is most well known for it. But let's be clear, they all have this. I mean, Pete Townsend wasn't playing Tellys. He was playing Sch uh, Schechter parts guitars. You know what I mean? They're all notoriously known for this because... A lot of reasons, sometimes just economic reasons. They could build themselves a guitar they couldn't afford. That's the same reason why. You know, it's a a, a journeyman uh, 60s Strat custom shop's $4,100. That's And that's before whatever price increase happened in this month. $4,100 for a Strat, a custom shop? The question is, can you build one cheaper than that? You can, you know, and so you can get parts into it. That's one of them. And two, it's like I said, there's a unique cost money. And if you want unique, and that's why I, when I, I talk about videos like where I, we fix up cheaper guitars, that's what I'm basically getting at. Like, look, some people care about it. You may not care. You know, some people don't care if their guitar is unique, but some people like to have a guitar that's really like them. You know what I mean? It's uh, to their taste and to the, you know, and, and sometimes putting together your own guitar just does it. <laughs> Lauren said 80% of statistics are made up on the spot. I agree. I think that's at least within... Five ten percent. That's funny. Okay, I gotta get to this last one so we can talk about the last thing we gotta talk about. Okay, so um, uh, McDowley says McDowell, Dowley, Lowell, Lee. There's a lot of L's and a Y on there. Says uh, 
He lives in a, or they live in a super rural area. Thanks for sharing wisdom that allowed me to make wise, fun gear choices while buying online. Thank you so much for that. That is, again, those are the comments that, that range, uh, that, that really hit me the most. Obviously when I hear like, oh, thanks for showing me how to fix the thing. But I love it when you guys say like, oh, thanks for, like I made some choices based on some reviews. Um, again, that's important to me because, uh, that's the stuff that I get nervous about, you know, when I'm like, I do a video and I look back and I go, you know, um, did it, did it give, you know, trying to find the balance. I want to say the things I love about the instrument, but I also want you to have a, I want you to get what I, you expect if you watch a video. And, um, I don't expect that you watch only my videos of a review. I expect you watch a bunch, but I would like mine to, to be the one that when you, you know, you said, okay, I pulled the trigger on that and you're right. It was this, it was, it was as good as you said it was, or it was, had the issue you thought, but it's still good or so. Very cool. And as, as the channel grows, that becomes tougher to, to deal with because of the fact that companies, as you, as you get, as they know, there's more eyeballs on the video companies do get a little weird with you with sending you, like I said, cherry pick product. Um, by the way, most of the time they don't. Like I said, most companies send you stuff and you're like, why the hell would you send this? <laughs> Didn't you know I was going to show it to people? Like, what is your, what are you thinking? That happens more than not. But when they cherry pick stuff, uh, you know, th that sucks. But I tell you guys over and over again, if somebody sends me a product and it's amazing and I say it's amazing uh, and you don't get that product, then you tell them. You use my videos. The, hey, I bought it because of this guy. And what's up? And let them tell you to their face. Like, oh, he just made all that up. That's how they come. I don't know why his was so special. I'd love to hear him say that. I'd have something to say about that too. <laughs> uh, I'm not old vintage. Thank you so much for the, I think it's a, uh, I always like the stickers. Um, it's a definitely some kind of uh, uh, hippo, potamus. We're going to call it a funkopotamus. Uh, Dave says, GT1000 want to go to 4CM gigging musician and cover country rock Metal, okay, I want to get to the source of this question. It says, Hard Rock uh, in the same night, Mesa 525-35 or something else. So are you asking me, should you get a GT1000 from Boss and a Mesa amp? Yes. <laughs> I can tell you right now, the Mesa 525 or 535 will cover all the genres you talk. It's loud and it's small. It's a legitimate amp. And the GT1000 will uh, cover all those sounds as well. So good good choice. Good, good. So Christopher Jones says... Uh, why doesn't Fender make a USA Solidwood acoustics? They have tried. They did not do well. Um, and the reason is, is because uh, you understand companies, if they can't make a market, if they can't break into the market, they buy a market. Fender has bought that market. Fender bought, that's why they bought Guild. They bought Guild. Well, if, remember, they bought Tacoma first. They bought Tacoma guitars, which were in Washington. And uh, shortly after that, they bought Guild. And when they bought Guild, uh, they started making Guild in the Fender factory, and that didn't go so great, <laughs> by the way. And so then what they did was they decided that um, – what did they decide? They decided that the Washington factory was rented, and so they they just got the, the lease laps, and then they stopped making the Tacomas there, and Tacoma went away. And then they started making the Guilds in the new Guild facility. I think it was in Connecticut, right? Something like that. Uh, no, that's not what they did. They bought Ovation. That's what Fender did. They bought Ovation Hamer. So remember, so this, so you understand, Fender won the acoustic market. So they buy Tacoma instruments. Tacoma is very niche because it was no finishes on their instruments. Uh, as you know, their big thing was the Thunder Chief, which is like a force, uh, like a baritone bass, a baritone guitar, and a bass acoustic. Then they acquired Guild, and like I said, that didn't go well. So they shut down uh, um, Tacoma, and then they bought ovation 
and Hamer, which was in Connecticut, and then they moved Guild to the Ovation facility, made only a couple models of Ovation there, and of course the Guild. And um, and this was all to kind of do this. And then they made some high-end Fender acoustics as well. And those didn't do well because the, the market's not... Look, there's the problem is, is I said this once, um, <laughs> I once... I, a bad year uh, for the sh for my store. I went to the uh, to the Nam show the year that PRS started making acoustics. He was making high end acoustics, um, and we were a, like a premium PRS dealer at the time. And they were like, "Oh, if you want to continue your premium thing, you have to you have to carry our acoustics." And I was like, I was just so distraught because I'm like, the last thing I wanted in the shop was four thousand dollar PRS acoustics because to me, I'm like. You can buy Taylor's, you can buy Martin's. So I go to Taylor, I had my meeting with Taylor. We, we weren't a Taylor dealer. We're going to get Taylor and add it to the store. And I got my meeting with a Taylor and Taylor's like, okay, great. Here's your buy. And you buy these acoustics. Oh, and our new line of electrics. And they showed me electrics. And I remember losing it for a second going, dude, I just left PRS. I'm like, I don't want his acoustics and I don't want your electrics. I want his electrics and your acoustics. That's what sells. And they were like, no, no. And I remember, I'll never remember this because when I told the, the Taylor guy, he was like, no, 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 these are going to be great. And I said, you know, the whole point of buying a Taylor guitar for your stores, it's a proven product. So you have a proven product that's got a track record that's good and it's quality and people want to buy it. And now to be a dealer, I got to carry this stuff. You don't even know if anyone's going to buy this. And my gut says no one wants a Taylor electric guitar like they want a Taylor acoustic. And I, and I, and so I ended up not carrying Taylor that year and I did not update my status with uh, PRS so I dropped in you know whatever dealer status because I didn't dig the acoustics I personally feel both of those did not do well in other words PRS now just does the import acoustics and I'm sure Taylor still is dabbling in the electrics a little bit I haven't seen but let's just say I don't see anybody with them Nothing wrong with them all trying that, but they were trying with my dime and I didn't want to do it because <laughs> that's how it works. You buy the gear. So I got to buy their stuff, right? Um, so what, what I'm getting to with your, your question is, is the same thing with Fender. Look, Fender can sell a $2,000. Hey, Fender can sell a $4,000 custom shop Strat. They can take a Strat that you can buy for a thousand bucks, beat it up and make it four grand. But selling an acoustic is a different animal. Acoustic players are not necessarily Fender players and vice versa. They might, you know what I mean? So that's why I don't think they, they did it. I don't, I don't think they do it because it didn't do well. And obviously they didn't do well with those other acoustic brands. That's why they don't own any of them. Fender no longer own, owns Ovation. They don't own Guild. They, Tacoma is a shelf brand. They probably still own Tacoma Instruments, but it's, it's a brand that's just a, a name. And it's, again, they own it probably. And it, it, they're not making any product underneath it. So... That's why. On that note, thank you guys so much. You guys have an amazing weekend. As always, thank you for your time and know your gear.